Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Spirit Alive Network Tuesday Teachings. Tell it Tuesday with your host, Lester Carver. Today we're going to be discussing religion versus relationship. But before we get into that, I'd like to open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. Thank you for your word that you've given us that we might not sin against you, God. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that you placed within us by virtue of the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, who you sent so that we could be redeemed, we could be set apart, we could be justified, and we could operate in power in the world and redeem those who are lost and bring them into the body of Christ by introducing them to your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for you giving us the desire to do that, the desire to speak your word out, to understand your purposes more clearly, to be one with you in all of these so that we can reconcile the world back to you and we can renew our relationship with you and divorce ourselves of the ideas associated with religion that have divided the body of Christ for so long and caused your people to go astray in their hearts. I thank you for this right now. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. Well, until Tuesdays, we are going to be discussing religion versus relationship tonight. And we're going to be discussing it for a, a number of reasons. <laughs> the main reason is that God wants us to know exactly what we are to be doing in order to please him, serve him, trust him, and operate in absolute faith. And what you find is that the adversary, the devil, our enemy, knows how to make something that is harmful. He knows how to make something that is fake look genuine. He knows how to make something that is worth nothing look incredibly valuable. But what God wants us to do is to be able to discern what is valuable from what is fake, what is real from what is fake. And we need to get to the point where our relationship and our walk with God is something that is not simply seeking to enhance our temporal existence on earth by allowing us to acquire more money, allowing us to acquire to acquire more relationships, by allowing us to become wiser in the world or allowing us to show off our own personal strengths and talents. But 
we have to invite the power of the Holy Spirit into our lives so that we can demonstrate that it is the power of God operating through us to do that which cannot be done through our own power alone. We have to be able to demonstrate that we have access to God such a way that we can trust God in all things, even when we don't have all of the answers. We have to be able to demonstrate that know how to please God because we know what God's word says because we study God's word and we do what God requires us to do the way he requires us to do it. And then we also demonstrate that our heart is to serve God and God alone, not to split our loyalty between God and money, not to split our time between serving God and serving man and serving money. But we spend our energies and our focus and our attention serving God, and God makes sure that all that we need we have. God makes sure that we have enough to give and then some. So begin to discuss some of these ideas that have to do with religion versus relationship. One of the things that we see that is inherent in religion is that religion focuses on defining and identifying the self-interest of a given group. One of the first groups we see this in in the Word of God is God's chosen people, the children of Israel. And they, throughout the whole of the Old Testament and portions of the New Testament, seek to define and carve out their own self-interest by defining the terms by which they will interface with God instead of instead of accepting the terms that God laid out for how they would interact with him. They established their own traditions of men. They established their own sets of priorities in order to define what was acceptable to them relative to position with God. And what God was asking them to do was to enter into the benefits of their relationship with him, which would identify God's interest in the relationship versus the interest of their specific people group. See, God's interest always went beyond the children of Israel alone. You see in the Old Testament how God made a way for those who were not born of the children of Israel to become proselytes, circumcised, and their families could enter into the covenant of Abraham through circumcision in the Old Testament. Well, in the New Testament, we see something even greater where we, the Gentiles, had been grafted into this covenant that Abraham had with God 
and by virtue of what Jesus Christ accomplished at Calvary, we have become an extension of that original covenant between God and Abraham and his chosen people. And we have been made a part of that olive tree that is represented in the household of Abraham. And what's neat about this is that God said that he had placed a veil over his people's eyes, over the children of Israel's eyes, so that the door that they closed would be a door that was open for we, the Gentiles, to come into a fullness of relationship with God. And what caused them to close this door? Well, the offense at the idea that Jesus Christ was proclaimed to be the Messiah when Jesus Christ did not represent to them what a Messiah would look like. A Messiah was to overthrow Rome and take the place of a king on earth and free God's people from oppression. And that is not what Jesus Christ did in the physical the way that they required it. So children of Israel to this day as a people group are still looking for the Messiah to come who has already come. (laughs) And this is an interesting thing because God said he used that blindness. He used their lack of being able to identify with Jesus Christ as the Messiah as an opportunity to make them envious at those who were not born God's chosen people at all. God said he would take strangers and he would draw them into covenant with him because his people would not hear him, all right? This is what's happened is the door that they closed, God opened so that we Gentiles could enter into this relationship with God. That is one of the great mysteries of the Bible is that the Jews and Gentiles would be made one body in Christ Jesus. And what's fascinating about this is that God says this work is not over, this work is not finished, this work is not done. As a matter of fact, just like God caused their vision to be temporarily dulled and blinded, They were allowed to become that way to make a way for us to enter into covenant with God. But it says that ultimately their eyes will be open, the veil will be lifted, their their ears will no longer be dull, and they will hear the truth and respond and enter into the same covenant that we are part of right now. And... As a result of that, even more Gentiles are going to enter in, and the body of Christ is just going to swell. It's just going to grow. But that has to happen by God's people identifying relationship with God as a core principle, as a key objective. And how you do this is by identifying God's interests. Interests are 
that he has determined he is going to dwell with man, man is going to dwell with him, and God gets incredible glory when we participate in drawing others into the kingdom of God. This meets with God's approval, whereas religion creates a set of rules, a set of mores, a set of criterion in traditions that say, if we do this for God, then God is going to preserve our own self-interest here on earth. And this creates a set of expectations that is more akin to entitlement, where people believe they have entered into a contract with God, a business deal of sorts, and they believe God owes them something. And this is a false reality. This is something that is not acceptable to God. This is something that is not endorsed by God. And in the body of Christ, it's something that's very harmful because what it does is chop up the body of Christ into a bunch of different subsets that have their own traditions, their own standards, their own criterion. And God is saying is saying that he is not obligated to respond to your religious rituals and your individual priorities when he has made it clear that his intent, his purpose is that we would identify with God's interest of reconciling all men back to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And in doing that, we would receive God's approval. We would receive God's stamp of approval. I want to look at a couple of things in the passage of Scripture today. And what I want to identify is that there, there is a, 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 a loyal remnant that God has identified throughout time throughout all time, <laughs> that is always focused on maintaining relationship with God. And this is important because there's a day coming where people are going to openly reject religion as we know it because it is going to be seen as the bondage actually is. That bondage consists of serving money, pleasing people, leaning to your own understanding, and operating out of your own limited strength. And people believe that if they are on this religious treadmill, that they are entitled to their temporal needs being met and that is as far as they want to go with God. They are the people who showed up at the teachings of Jesus Christ for nothing more than the fishes and the loaves or are missing God. They're missing the point. They're missing the reason God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross to die for you and I so that we could be physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and financially whole. 
God says, I want you to enter into relationship with me through prioritizing the things that I say are important to me, not the things that you say are important to you. So your traditions, your special days, your organizational history, your bylaws, your songs, your manners of dress, your buildings, all of those things mean absolutely nothing to God. And God is saying, are you studying my word so that what I want is what you want? Are you delighting in my word so that my desires are your desires? Are you, as Jesus Christ was reconciling with the world back to God, are you reconciling the world back to God? Because if you're doing this, then God is identifying you as that remnant, those people who are seeking relationship with God instead of seeking their own self-interest, seeking for their belly to be full, for their life to be comfortable, for people to pat them on the back and to have the stamp of approval of men. God is saying, what about my stamp of approval? (laughs) What about what I think? What about pleasing me? What about serving me? What about trusting me? What about operating in absolute faith so that God can get glory out of your life, right? God is serious about this business. And so we have to see that God has an investment in you that he wants to protect. So he wants to, he wants to have this heart of relationship grow and develop within you. There's always a loyal remnant toward God who never quits. So no matter how hard things get, no matter how much persecution you come under, no matter how inconvenient things are or how large the attacks against you become, you never quit. You always stay on task, and you know that your task is dwelling with God God dwelling with you, and you winning souls for the kingdom continually. So you are studying God's word. You are speaking in tongues as often as possible. You are fasting. You are praying. You are fellowshipping with like-minded believers. Your Holy Spirit is, is building up and reinforcing your soul in such a way that you're strong spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, financially. And you don't quit. You are always there as a shining light. Then this loyal remnant is usually more people than you realize. At times, it gets very lonely. And speaking the truth and speaking the word and winning souls where there are times where you think you're the only one because everybody else is having so much fun playing church, getting pats on the back, getting their name listed everywhere, getting checks from everywhere, having all kinds of benefits and and expansion and celebration and notoriety. And nobody, it feels like nobody sees you, nobody hears you at all, and you feel like I'm the only one. But remember what God said in the Old Testament to his prophet when the prophet said, I'm the only one. And God says, I have reserved 
7,000 that have not bowed the knee. So just because you don't see the other people, understand that the loyal remnant, like you, who are seeking relationship with God, who are focused on God's interests, who are concerned about the approval of God over the approval of men, that loyal remnant is usually more people than you realize or even think. So just trust God in this, that you are not alone, even though it feels like it at times, right? And then understand that those of this loyal remnant, they're not loyal because can get from being loyal. They're loyal because they believe that God's favor and God's power and God's purpose chose them. See, when you know and understand that God chose you and you appreciate and value what is what is required in the process of choosing someone, then you value what God invested in you because God has an investment in you to protect. The desire that God placed in your heart, relationship with him, comes from him because God chose you. And we're loyal to God because we believe God's favor and God's power and God's purpose chose us. We're not serving God. We're not pleasing God. We're not trusting God, and we're not operating in faith just because of what we can get from God to improve our life here on earth today. That would be short-sighted and without purpose. Our own self-interests are nothing more than basic entitlement and going along to get along, pleasing people, serving money, operating out of our own understanding and operating out of our own limited strength. And that is not very inspiring. It is not consistent with what is going to earn God's approval and be labeled as being legitimate by God. As a matter of fact, it will be labeled illegitimate. And then if those people who were looking for, if those people were looking for some short-term gain, they would have quit because there are times when you're serving God, when it gets very lonely, when it gets very hard, when it gets very tough, when you're given 110% and you're suffering like somebody who never knew God. <laughs> but we know that our suffering is temporary because it's just God's way of more hope so that we can minister to someone else who's suffering too. And we can minister from a place of knowledge and not a place of ignorance. So the other thing that we have to see is that when we're pursuing our own interests, we are trying to get right with God on our own. And we understand that when you try to do this, you're going to fail because it's not designed that way. <laughs> the way that grace and mercy works from God is that we 
let God pursue his interests in us. And we seek to receive God's stamp of approval by trusting God to do within us the work he said he would do through his Holy Spirit. When we trust God like this, what we're going to see in our life is the development of a supernatural walk where we're talking and listening and acting, talking and listening and obeying, talking and listening and operating. And signs, miracles, and wonders are going to follow us because we believe, because our relationship with God is intact. And see, you can't have a relationship if there's no communication. If you refuse to speak in tongues, if you refuse to pray, if you refuse to sing in tongues, if you refuse to to sing hymns, if you refuse to study God's word, if you just don't make yourself available to be in the presence of God, right? It doesn't matter if you show up at church every Sunday. You're going to feel needs you to engage him in the spiritual realm, in the supernatural realm, so that he can place his stamp of approval on you. We see that those who pursue self-interest to God, they create an environment of entitlement that says, God owes me something. And as soon as things don't go your way, as soon as you take a loss, as soon as you suffer illness or harm, then you get mad at God, you throw a little tantrum, and you walk off because the word that we use today is your faith is conditional. Walk with God is not sustainable. It is not something that can be maintained over the course of your lifetime into maternity, into eternity, I'm sorry, because you're trying to do it all by yourself. You're trying to do this thing without the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at what the Word says about this in Romans chapter 10, and this is Paul speaking to Israel, who reduced the awesome promise that God gave them, holy promise to nothing more than a contract and a business deal. And Paul says to children of Israel, he says, believe me, friends, all I want for Israel is what's best for Israel. Salvation, nothing less. I want it with all my heart and pray to God for all the time. I readily admit the Jews are impressively energetic regarding God. So he said, hey, these people... Are, they do a lot related to God, right? <laughs> this is their religiosity, their religious service. They are always available on Sunday and Wednesday. And, but look at what it says here, Saturday sometimes for people. And it says, but they are doing everything exactly backwards. They don't seem to realize that this comprehensive setting things right, that his salvation is God's business. See, it's something God does. And a most flourishing business it is. Right across the street, they're setting up their own salvation shops and noisily hawk their wares. 
after all these years of refusing to really deal with God on his terms, insisting instead on making their own deals. They have nothing to show for it. And see, this is, the, this is what God is interested in. He wants to reward you, conceive the benefit in having a relationship with God. But when all the world has to see is your salvation shop, your books and your tapes and your CDs and your little tracks and all the little things that you sell, your trinkets, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you are reducing what God has offered as a holy promise, as a promise to you, you're reducing that to nothing more than a business deal and a contract. And then you are seeking nothing more than your self-interest. Feed your belly. You want to be conveniently positioned with men to have favor with men and get that pat on the back and have everybody talk about how great you are, right? <laughs> but God says this, all of this effort, all of this energetic energy regarding God is going to leave you with nothing to show for it because God's reward is connected to you connecting to God's interest, to God's desires in God's word being your desires in God's word so that God can place his stamp of approval on you and your relationship with God can grow. In your relationship growing with God, you will be able to instruct others on how to develop their relationship with God too. So let's see what it says here in Romans 10, 4. It says, the earlier revelation was intended simply to get us ready for the Messiah. So this is referring to what occurred in the Old Testament. Who then puts everything right for those who trust him to do it. See, trusting, trusting is important. Moses wrote that anyone who insists on using the law code to live right before God soon discovers it's not so easy. Every detail of life regulated by fine print. But trusting God to shape the right living in us is a different story. See, it was never God's intent that man would be subject to a knowledge of good and evil. That was the result of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. And because man became aware of evil and good, then man had to make decisions like God and had to be aware of obedience and disobedience. And decisions became more complicated. And so this is saying when we learn to trust God and let God shape our right living by trusting him, we're led by the Holy Spirit. God is the one who creates a shift in our life and allows us to be free and just trust him so that we can receive God's grace and mercy new at the beginning of each and every day and enter into relationship with God by asking God, do I go forward or not? Do I run or do I hide or do I fight? 
or do I rest, right? And when we wait for the answer from God, then we're blessed. It says, but trusting God to shape the right living in us is a different story. No precarious climb up to heaven to recruit the Messiah. No dangerous descent into hell to rescue the Messiah. So what exactly was Moses saying? The word that saves is right here. As near as the tongue in your mouth, as close in your chest, see, it's a part of you. It's with you. The word of God is what is cleansing you, energizing you, strengthening you, perfecting you. And when you trust God to do this work through his word that he magnified above his name, that's where that relationship grows. That's where you become all that God intended you to be. And you know that God's investment in you is something that God is not going to go let go to waste because the work he started in you, he said he is faithful to perform. So let's look at what it says. It says here, it's the word of faith that welcomes God to go at work and set things right for us. See, I, I once I had a friend who said once that he wasn't coming to God until he got right with God. And then he wouldn't be a hypocrite and he was just going to wait until he got right with God and then he was going to come to God. And it, it sounded noble. At the the time, it's something that sounds noble in and of itself because for someone to say, oh, I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I'm going to wait till I'm ready, and after I get right, then I'm going to come to God. And and what's backward about that is that without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and without the cleansing power of the Word in your life, it is impossible for you to get right without the blood of Christ because it's the blood of Christ that justifies you that sanctifies you, that redeems you. And these things are important, but they only, only become real when you operate in faith, confidence, and trust in God because God is the one doing this work. He is the one that's shaping the right living in us. So look at what it says. It's the word of faith that, that welcomes God to go at work and set things right for us. This is the core of our preaching. So think of it like this. When you have a child, an infant, and that infant uses the restroom in their diaper, is the infant going to change its own diaper? Of course not. It dressed after it cleans itself off and takes the diaper off. No, that's not going to happen. Right? That's how it is when you get saved is you are new and born again. And God is the one who is going to make sure that you have what you need so that when you need to rest, you're going to rest. When you need to eat, you're going to eat. When you need to be cleaned up from from handling your business, you're going to be cleaned up from handling your business. And and all of these things God is going to do, he's going to develop within you. So the core of our preaching is that it's the faith of God that welcomes God to go to work in our life and set things right. 
Say the welcoming word to God. Jesus is my master. So accept the Son of God, Jesus Christ, as your master, embracing body and soul, God's work of doing in us what he did in raising Jesus Christ from the dead. That's it. You're not doing anything. You're simply calling out to God, trusting him to do it for you. That's what salvation is. With your whole being, you embrace God setting things right. And then you say it right out loud. God has set everything right between him and me. And that's what relationship is. Relationship says, I am a child of God. I am a son of God. And God chose me. See, there's a, there's a value in being chosen. One of the things that I think is overlooked today is, especially in, in marital relationships, is there is a process that we all go through, those of us who are married, where we choose the person that we are going to spend the rest of our life with. And when we make that choice, after we make that choice, one of the biggest things to remember is we made that choice. And hopefully we, we understand that that choice was our choice. There is a value in being chosen. I appreciate being chosen by my wife, by having her agree to be my wife. And I chose my wife to be my wife. And I value her choosing to allow me to be her husband. And that same process of being chosen is what occurs here in our relationship with God. Is we remember that God chose us and gave us favor. He gave us power. He gave us purpose. And so in response to him choosing us, we're loyal. So when things get hard, when things get tough, when everybody seems to write us off, we remember that God chose us. And if no one's around, God is around. Our relationship with God is his stamp of approval. And we see our fruit. We see the love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, kindness, patience, faithfulness, and self-control in our life drawing others into the kingdom because we are showing and telling that God is doing this complete and perfect work in us. And just like he's doing this complete and perfect work in us, he can do the same complete and perfect work in gives them hope to realize they don't have to do this thing on their own and play church and pretend that you have something that you don't have. <laughs> so let's see. Let's see what else God is saying here. You embrace with your whole being God setting things right, and then you say it right out loud. God has set everything right between him and me. Scripture reassures us. No one who trusts in God like this, heart and soul, will ever regret it. It's exactly the same no matter what a person's religious background may be. It's the same for all of us. Acting 
the same incredibly generous way to everyone who calls out for help. Everyone who calls help, God, gets help. But how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? That's why scripture exclaims, a sight to take away your breath. Grand processions of people telling all the good things of God. But not everybody's ready for this, ready to see and hear and act. Isaiah asks, what will we ask at one time or another? God, is anyone listening and believing a word of it? The point is, before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. But haven't there been plenty of opportunities for Israel to listen and understand what's going on? Plenty, I'd say. Preachers' voices have gone around the world, their message to the earth's seven seas. So the big question is, why didn't Israel understand that she had no corner on this message? Moses had it right when he predicted. When you see God reach out to those you consider your inferiors, outsiders, this is speaking of the Gentiles, you'll become insanely jealous. So this is talking about us. So when Israel sees God reaching out to us, they're to become insanely jealous. When you see God reach out to people you think are religiously stupid, you'll throw temper tantrums. Think about this. I know that there are people in church who've been in church for all their life, and then they see a believer who gets saved who starts studying the word, who starts manifesting the Holy Spirit, who's speaking in tongues with God daily and believing the prophesying, operating out of sheer faith and letting God do the complete and perfect work in them. And religious people who've been around for all their life, been a member of the church and on the board, and their father's father, father, father was the pastor of the church and all the other fathers. And... They're wondering how this nobody shows up out of nowhere and is operating in real power instead of just a part of the furniture, a part of the organization, having your name on everything. God is looking for your relationship to be real, not your religion to be so intact that your earthly existence is nice and comfortable. God is not concerned about your earthly existence being nice and comfortable. So when you see God's, God reach out to people that you think are religiously stupid, you'll throw temper tantrums just like the children of Israel did. It says, Isaiah dared to speak out these words of God. People found and welcomed me who never so much as looked for me. And I found and welcomed people who had never even asked about me. Do you think that these days today that there are those who have never entered into a church, those 
never heard of him, those who never open the Bible, who are going to begin to be one to the kingdom through your life, through your presence in areas of concern, interest, and need, from you taking the Holy Spirit and power of God everywhere you are and allowing signs, miracles, and wonders to follow you, from you believing to speak in tongues, speak in tongues and interpret, bring forth a word of prophecy, receive words of knowledge, words of wisdom, discerning the spirits, and operate in supernatural faith, perform miracles, and perform acts of healing, gifts of healing. This is going to change the landscape and make a distinction between those who operate in power and relationship from those who operate in out of religion and tradition and entitlement. And so it says, referring to the children of Israel, then he kept it with a damning indictment. Day after day, I beckoned Israel with open arms and got nothing for my trouble but cold shoulders and icy stares. See, someone who thinks you owe them something, when they don't get what they believe they deserve because of all of the things that they did, then they get cold. They get distant. They get unresponsive. And that was because the only reason they sought you out to begin with was they wanted a place to stay. They wanted food to eat. They wanted to be comfortable. But as soon as things got uncomfortable, as soon as it was time to fast, as soon as it was time to patiently endure some persecution, they decided that there was another way to live. (laughs) They didn't need you anymore. And the relationship that was never there is, is, is never valued. And God says, look, I'm going to take people who've never known me and I'm going to make myself available to them. So let's look at the other side of this. Let's look at those faithful few, the remnant that I spoke of earlier. In Romans 11, it says, does this mean then that God is so fed up with Israel that he'll have nothing more to do with them? Hardly. Remember that I, the one writing these things, am an Israelite, Paul, a descendant of Abraham out of the tribe of Benjamin. You can't get much more Semitic than I am, much more Jewish than this guy. You're not going to get more Jewish than him. So we're not talking about repudiation or rejection. God has been too long involved with Israel. He has too much invested to simply wash his hands of them. So remember, God has an investment in you to protect. So he's not He's not kicking them to the curb. Do you remember That time Elijah was agonizing over the same Israel and cried out in prayer, God, they murdered your prophets. They trashed your altars. I'm the only one left, and now they're, they're after me. See, Elijah, Elijah thought he was the only one, thought he was the whole remnant. But God normally has more people than you think or realize. And do you remember God's answer to Elijah when he threw this little tantrum here? It says, I still have 7,000 who who haven't quit, 7,000 who are loyal to the finish, 
See, 7,000 is a whole lot. It's a lot of people. And yet, Elijah, the prophet, thought he was the only one that they were after him alone and they were going to get him, right? It's the same today. There's no fierce, loyal minority still. Not many, perhaps, but probably more than you think. And that's what you have to remember. They're holding on, not because of what they think they're going to get out of it, but because they're convinced of God's grace and purpose in choosing them. If they were only thinking of their own immediate self-interest, they would have left a long time ago. And then what happened? Well, when Israel tried to be right with God on her own, pursuing her own self-interest, she didn't succeed. The chosen ones of God were those who let God pursue his interest in them. What do you think God's interest is in you? to reconcile the world back to God, to win souls back for the kingdom, to dwell with God and allow God to dwell with you, throw his Holy Spirit in you so that you can speak in your heavenly prayer language, have God speak to you through your spirit so that you can prophesy to others and edify them as you are edified when you are speaking in your heavenly prayer language. And as a result of pursuing God's interest in you instead of your interest in God. <laughs> you receive God's stamp of legitimacy, God's stamp of approval. So the self-interest Israel became thick-skinned toward God. They were resistant to relationship with God. Moses and Isaiah both commented on this. It said, set up with their quarrelsome, self-centered ways. God blurred their eyes and dulled their ears shut them in on themselves in the hall of mirrors, and they're there to this day. David was upset about the same thing. He said, I hope they get sick of eating their self-serving meals, speaking of their feasts. Break a leg walking their self-serving ways. I hope they go blind staring in their mirrors, and they get ulcers from playing at God. See, religious service is a lot of work to put in for absolutely nothing. If you're going to receive no return, because that's not what God is looking for. What God is looking for is your heart that identifies with his interest, that seeks to get it right and to pursue the interests of God by valuing the fact that God chose you. Receiving all of God's favor, God's power, and God's purpose within you so that you can be used to reconcile the world back to God and you can be mentally, physically, spiritually, financially, and emotionally whole. And you can lead others to be mentally, physically, spiritually, financially, and emotionally, emotionally whole. So you're not looking to get a short-term gain out of your relationship with God because if that's what you're looking for is a quick fix, is a way out of your present set of circumstances, then that'll pass. As soon as you get your immediate need met, you'll quit. As soon as things get tough and challenging and you endure some persecution, you'll quit. 
But those who are loyal, they don't quit because they're not in it because of what they can get. They're in it because they understand the value in being chosen. They, their loyalty comes from, they, from their faith in believing God's favor and power and purpose in them is real. And they speak with God and enter into the secret place of the Most High in their heavenly prayer language because they really do believe that we are supernatural. We are super and his super to our natural by placing his Holy Spirit within us in a way that it cannot be removed in us. His investment in us is going to be protected. God's work that he starts in us, he is faithful to perform. And when we grow to be that loyal remnant in the earth, then it is a joy to us. It is something that allows us to never quit and to know that no matter how alone we may feel from time to time, that there is always a significant, substantial number of those who love God, who are with us even if we don't see them, even if we never hear from them, even if we feel like I'm the only one and they're trying to kill me, like Elijah, right? But we got to get to that point where we trust God and we understand it's our responsibility to demonstrate the power of God's promise in our life, our confidence in that holy promise, so that we don't make the mistake of some magical contract. If you do this, then you'll get this, or some business deal that if you hold to the exact terms of this agreement, then everything will go right with you, and if you don't, then it won't. That's what God's grace and mercy that we get new each day is for is so that God's Holy Spirit and God's Word can work out within us all that God has intended so that when we stumble, we are quick to get up because we understand walking is a learning process. God's mercy is for that. God's mercy is his merited judgment withheld, the whooping we should get that we don't get. And then God's grace is new to us each and every day to understand that his favor that we didn't earn is ours, and his enabling power allows us to do all that he requests and requires us to do so that we don't ever have to feel like we have to do this on our own, that we have to sacrifice and just just, just break ourselves down to carry this cross, See, carrying our cross is actually getting out of God's way and letting God do his complete and perfect work within us and simply saying yes, yes. When God says go, go. When God says stay, stay. When God says fight, fight. When God says hide, hide. When God says rest, rest. And learning to be led by the Holy Spirit instead of by your emotions, instead of by the whims of people who are hot one day and cold the next who march you in on a donkey's colt with a crown on your head one day and have a crown on thorns on your head and have you nailed up on a cross on the next day. People are fickle, 
And that's why we don't trust people. We trust God. We serve God. We please God. And we operate in absolute faith. And when you know what you're doing, then you know what not to do, which is not to serve money, not to please people, not to lean on your own understanding, and not to operate out of your own limited strength. So I just want to encourage you today to value your relationship with God. Pursue God's interests actively. Value God's approval instead of the approval of people. And reject religion in all of its forms and understand that it is nothing but serving self-interest, creating an environment of entitlement, dividing the body of Christ into a whole bunch of subsets. When it is not a bunch of subsets, it is one body with Christ Jesus as the head. And that is where God gets glory. When we come in agreement with God and his purpose, then we will be blessed. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this teaching tonight. I thank you for you causing us to come into a fullness of relationship with you. I thank you for your word being manifest in the earth. I thank you for many souls being one to the kingdom because of our obedientness and our loyalty toward you. God, we thank you for how you chose us and called us for the foundation of the world to be your children and your sons and your daughters and to walk in power and authority in the earth. Thank you for all this right now in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And as always, from the Spirit Alive Network, until Tuesdays with your host, Lester Carver, be ye transformed.